It's Saturday morning. It's 10 o'clock. This is the Van Wee Financial Hour. I'm Steve Van Wee. And I'm Adam Van Wee. And for those of you who listen intently enough, you might realize that Adam is remoting in. America's favorite soccer dad is back on the trail in South Florida this time, which sounds to me like a really good place to be. It is so beautiful here, you wouldn't even believe it. I'm out in Wellington, which is polo country, uh, just um, west of West Palm Beach, and it is just the nicest day ever. Huh. Well, it's pretty here, but there's definitely a little chill in the air. Just talking there's to... no chill here. No. I am wiping sweat from my brow just from walking from the soccer field. <laughs> I was just talking to Howard during the intermission here, and he he has professed to be a cold weather person so this day is suiting him better than me obviously but even like snow and stuff yeah weird but anyway i digress anyway um we are absolutely live even though not in the same place that doesn't matter and we are again welcoming all the regulars who keep us all going all the time and if you're new to the show either found it by accident or someone told you about it good welcome try to stick around for the whole hour we always promise you will learn something we don't know how intellectual it'll be necessarily but you'll learn a lot more if you decide to interrupt what we're doing and just pick up the phone and dial 904-222-8255 and you can call us with your questions or comments on virtually any subject that deals anything with money and almost every subject deals with money eventually so you're pretty wide open we respect callers that go to the front of the line and it's always important to remember that if you don't know something there are a lot of people listening who don't know the same thing there are no questions that are easy or dumb believe me what you don't know you don't know and of course i've long said that um, the job of the callers is to make us look good so the easier the question the better we look I've also but you said, can st- try, and, try and stump us as well. Yeah, well, I would like that, too. But I've, I've also said that as the Internet gets faster, Adam and I get a lot smarter. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> it's definitely a one-to-one correlation. Anyway, here we are in the middle of January. The, um, the world is a mess. The uh, market, I guess, sort of reflected that. It was a kind of a weird week, and I'll let Adam describe what I mean. It, it wasn't. It was neither great nor awful, but it was weird. Yeah, I think that's a good way of describing it. Um, coming off of last week, it probably felt a little bit worse than it actually was. The market really wasn't down very much. I mean, the the Dow was down less than one percent, and the Nasdaq and S and P were both both off three tenths of a percent. So really. Not a lot of net movement, but it felt just it felt like the market was in a bad mood. Although I did like the the strong buying into the close on Friday, so yeah, that helped. Um, some signs of life are out there, which is great. Um, but just a few weeks ago, the market was pricing in zero rate hikes for 2022. Yeah. Now it's pricing in at least three. And if you want to know why the market's in a bad mood, that is why. It it a hundred percent has to do with that. I'm sure there's some other factors, but to me, that's the biggest None one. that important. The, the strong economy and labor market that existed through 2021, it's still around, but it may be showing some signs of weakness in 2022. 
but nothing has really collapsed yet. Uh, now, some growth stocks are doing pretty poorly, but really the, the, the strong fundament, fundamentals that existed last month still exist today, but there are some signs of cracks in the armor. Now, it's nothing that can't be rectified, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too discouraged yet, but it's, there are things to keep an eye on, and I'll get to those a little bit later in the report. Uh, so far in 2022, the 10-year Treasury yield is up 28 basis points in just the first two weeks of the year. That's a trend that won't continue, obviously. But if it did continue, it'd be on, on pace for a gain of over 7% this year. Now, there's no way that happens. But that would be, just to put it in perspective, how quickly those yields rose in the last two weeks. That's pretty incredible. The big news in the financial... Re- reason, number one reason for that, in your opinion? Oh, the Fed. Yeah. The Fed uh, inflation and, and the Fed yeah. saying we're going to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, so you're seeing the market react to the news that the Fed was consistently last year saying that they were not going to hike rates until 2023. And then they did a pretty quick about face. And now it looks like three rate hikes this year. So a couple, that, of, couple of gut punches in there from the people who calculate inflation made a lot of difference. It sure did. It sure did, and I'll get to that in a minute, too. That was, uh, that was some of the big news this week. Some of the other big news this week was in the earnings world, which started on Friday. A few of the big banks reported. Saw Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, and BlackRock all report yesterday morning, and it was mixed. Wells Fargo rose 3.7% after they reported higher profit, while the other three all traded down on their results. The largest fall was in J.P. Morgan, and Interestingly, they beat on both earnings and revenue, but under the hood of the report, it wasn't that good. And the stock actually dropped 6% on Friday, so not not real strong. However, analysts have been pretty bearish headed into this season, so that is usually a good sign for earnings season. When analysts are raising uh, targets before the earnings season, it's harder to meet them, and we usually end up getting disappointed. This year, or this quarter, it's the opposite. They're lowering targets, which makes it easier to beat. So that doesn't always translate into higher stock prices, though. So it's, uh, it's sort of a double-edged sword on that one. The uh, retail sales report um, can, be scri- uh, can be described as nothing less than a huge miss. It was pretty bad. It was awful. The expectation, yeah, it was bad. The expectation was that retail sales fell 0.1% in December, but they actually fell 1.9%. Now, that's on a gain of over 16% last year. So it's still, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, that's a huge miss and it really casts doubt on the strength of the consumer going into 2022. And that's one of the big chinks in the armor I was talking about earlier. If that, if we can't get the consumer to continue spending like they have been in the last couple of years, then we could be in trouble this year. So far, one bad report, not a trend, but Definitely keep an eye on the retail sales number uh, next month. That's yeah, a pretty simple explanation to me. Everybody's postponing those purchases they were going to make because either, A, it's not on the shelf or you can't get it, or, two, they have to save up their money because they have to go to the gas station. I think it's, yeah, it's partly that, and it's partly that I think a lot of people push their Christmas buying forward this year, too. Right. So you had a lot of buying in um in September, October, November for for the holiday season that normally takes place in December. But people were so worried about the supply chain issues and the news was telling them to buy early, which Mm -hmm. is probably good advice in this case. And so I think that pushed a lot of sales forward. 
I think that's a, we'll a, see, a really we'll good insight. A, we'll see what happens in February for the January report. If that one beats estimates, I would it would sort of be a little relief for me. Yeah, I can't um, disagree that with that. Back on track. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. But there, there's a lot of headwinds, as you said. And after the break, we will have the trivia question, of course. But then I wanted to get back into some of the other things that are going wrong. And, of course, I'll help because everybody's got their opinion about how to fix this thing. But as usual, mine is the right one. Hmm. Did I say that? Hmm. Yeah, anyway, there, there are things that should be done that you know will not be done because politically they're unpopular and politics right now is driving everything. My problem is the way the politics are going, I think the market should be euphoric and it isn't. So we'll talk about that too. All right, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after we pay some bills. This is the Van Wee Financial Hour. Welcome back to the Van Wee Financial Hour. I'm Steve Van Wee. And I'm Adam Van Wee. Adam, once again, is down in the West Palm area enjoying a little heat and humidity instead of the chilliness we have here. But, as usual, excellent connection, loud and clear. All right, we have as... Excuse me. uh, One one thing first. We have, as usual, the um, trivia question sponsored by Ken Bales at First Coast Alarm. You can call Kenny at 904-636-7888. Adam and I have talked a lot for the last couple of years about Bitcoin, and we have not ever supported it, and I can't imagine that actually happening. But there's an interesting phenomenon that's not as true as it used to be. But in the earlier days, you everybody's probably heard stories about Bitcoin being lost because somebody's zip drive fails or they they do a password and they can't remember it. And you can't retrieve it. Nowadays, they have some techniques that are getting a little better for that. But overall, what percentage of Bitcoin is estimated to be lost and gone forever? That is a percentage number. I'll take a whole number. You don't need to get technical with the point this and that. What percentage of Bitcoin is thought to be lost? All right. And how disappointed are those group of people that lost it? Um, at the current price, and especially even at the previous price, really disappointing. At the yeah, price so that came out, not uh, so much. Right, but we're talking about a lot of money in today's dollars. <laughs> we today's are talking about a lot dollars. of money. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, we are. All right, um, back to the market and, and what we need to do to get over this period of malaise or whatever it is. Yeah, well, first I want to talk about something positive, and that's emerging markets. Yeah. After being led lower by China for most of 2021, um, in fact, most of EM was flat for 2021, while China was down, in some cases, almost 30%. And we talked about, talked about that at length last year. We got out of China, I don't know, midway through last year, just because the, the writing seemed to be on the wall, and it's done nothing but continue to go down. And it dragged EM down with it. But now we're seeing some signs of uh, positive positivity in, in EM. And the, uh, the areas that I've been looking at are Taiwan. That's on the strength of the semiconductor industry and Saudi Arabia on the price of oil. So keep an eye on that moving forward. I think that EM got hit really hard by coronavirus and there may be some additional upside there. I, I don't know for sure, but that's something that we've been keeping an eye on. 
Yeah, I'm glad there's still that one kind of underlying question to me. Why is China included in emerging markets? Second largest <laughs> yeah. economy in the world? And maybe it, first it, largest soon. It is a bit odd that they're still in there, but they are. So um, I, I don't. they didn't consult me when they made that decision, unfortunately. Shocking. I would probably reclassify them into emerged market. But he, Adam won't tell you this either, but he made a really good call a while back by changing our emerging markets ETFs largely over to one that excludes China, EMXC. So if you're leery about the Chinese exposure, as we have been, this one doesn't have it, yet it takes advantage of every everything good that's happening in emerging markets. So it's something to think about for any of you who have enough um, enough varying, well, enough money, first off, but also have an interest in even more diversification of your portfolio, it might be a pretty good year for them, I think, depending on what COVID does, of course. It depends. But also, um, EM is a traditionally very volatile asset class, so just be very careful if you do add that to your portfolio that it is something that can go up and down in big movements. So Small percentages, careful. big variability. Yep. But it can it can help your overall returns if you catch it right and have a little bit of patience. That's always it definitely important. can. Yep. All right. So um, some other little, little goodies. More, I want to talk real quick about uh, inflation. Um, mm-hmm. The big news, other big news this week: CPI, Consumer Price Index. The, the report actually matched expectations. So you would think, excuse me, you would think, oh, no big deal. But the problem here was that expectations were for a seven percent annualized gain which is a 40-year high, and that's exactly what happened. So uh, inflation running at 7% is going to really, really be a bad thing for the economy if it continues. Now, I don't think we're going to see that continue, um, especially with the Fed being much more hawkish. But still, that number number is not good. All right, we have a caller. We'll take that. Good morning, caller. Oh, hi. uh, It's Mike. Hi, Mike. Uh, How are you doing? Belated Happy New Year, guys. Well, thank you. Same to you. All right. Uh, I'll take a shot at the trivia. Good. All right. I think I read somewhere in the New York Times a while back that it's billions, and I'm going to say a percentage of 20%. You are, huh? You know, there's, I am. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of news junkies in the world, and I know you're one of them, but not everybody has the memory capacity that you do. If you read it, you read it correctly. It is 20%. And that figure, I didn't give this out earlier because it would have been easy to look it up. That calculation was done by the Wall Street Journal, and it is indeed 20%. About I, um, I'm sorry. When I, when I um, read the article in the Times, they said lost in wallets was somewhere around $18.5 million, if I read correctly. Could be. I don't know numbers anymore, but the total value of Bitcoin that's left you know, varies. You know that trades 24-7, right? It never closes. Yes, it's always that's trading. That's correct. Yep. Mm. So what, what amount of Bitcoin anybody has is a flashpoint. But since it's gone up into the 60,000s and then dropped back into the low 40s, there's been a heck of a lot of money lost on paper, but still a heck of a gain overall. And the people who lost that 20%, they got to just be kicking themselves, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I've been kicked. I, I kicked myself this last week. Uh, I have uh, a lot of shares of J.P. Morgan, and oh. boy, that was a nice hit. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know one thing about J.P. Morgan. They'll be back. Yeah, yeah, I was just reading Fortune magazine. Very quickly, uh, they talk about how many people, uh, uh, young people uh, leaving college, would rather work from home. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, he said, I'd rather you come back into the office. He did. If you want to interact and uh, share ideas, you can only succeed by being in an office and mingling with other people. Right. If you're upwardly mobile. I mean, if you've got a job that you'll be happy with for the rest of your life working on your in your home office, that's fine. But if you're upwardly mobile and in a company like that, who isn't, get in exactly. there and, and learn and, and make a splash and have people recognize your face and your name and your work and all that. I agree with you completely, Mike. How true. Yep. Love your show, gentlemen. Thanks. I'm going to put you on hold. We'll, we'll catch your name and address and send you a little something from Mr. Bales. Thank you. Take care, gentlemen. Thank you. Very interesting. As as the old commercials used to say, when Jamie Dimon speaks, people listen. There's a reason for that. He is a powerful man if you're in the business of finance, especially in the New York area. No doubt about it. All right, back to things that are hopefully going to get better. Yeah, I can't mention CPI without talking about PPI. That one was pretty ugly, too. Uh, that, that one came in weaker than expected at 10, just under 10%. Yep. Whew, talk about some serious inflation. That's a, for those who don't know, that's the producer price index. Producer costs go up, and a little time lag later, consumer prices go up. That's how that it works. That does tend to be how it works. Yep. Uh, any others? You know, I, I, look at, I look at things like we have this supply chain that is nowhere near figured out. And guys like Mayor Pete, in his brilliance, says, well, if you keep the ships further offshore, it's out of sight and out of mind, so it looks like our supply chain is doing better. Now, I'm, I'm afraid that smoke and mirrors is not going to change the economics of the situation one little bit. And that's just you so typical. Yep. The, the, these are the, the White House right now is comprised of the bad news bears. They just can't catch a break. It's because <laughs> it's it's because they have no good policies. You can implement all the bad policies any way you want to, and you're going to come up with bad results. Period. Yeah, and I guess we really just have to mention uh, Joe Biden's terrible, awful, no good week. Yeah. Um, he really just did not have a good week. It was it was bad all around for Joe, and uh, all his own fault. I mean, it's there's. It's like he can't put it together to come up with better policy that might have a chance of passing. And um, so it's just dysfunction in, in Washington. And I think we're going to see that through the next two and a half years. I don't think there's any way around it. Well, Manchin and Cinema basically put the last nail in the coffin on the filibuster. And I have to thank them personally for understanding that what is what they're trying to do to America by changing all this stuff is a big, big, bad mistake. So thanks to Joe and Kirsten for saving America for now. 
or it's in the so short sighted. Yeah, it, it is. It makes no sense. Well, you're you going to think get, they'd learn. Get the benefit of it for eight months, and then you're going to get kicked out of office, and and then the other party's going to get the benefit of it, and it, it, it just makes no sense. Well, that means that they're not going to get anywhere uh, on the um, next gigantic spending bill, and that is ultimately going to be the savior for the inflation rate. So it's still bad, and you know what it means when the inflation rate comes down. It means prices are still going up. They're just not going up quite as fast. So we're, we're not out of the woods yet, but there are signs of things easing up. More when we get back. We'll pay a few more bills, and we'll see you on the other side. This is the Van Wee Financial. Welcome back to the Van Wee Financial Hour. I'm Steve Van Wee. And I'm Adam Van Wee. And we um, have a lot to talk about. I wanted to do one more thing, which slipped my mind naturally. But one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that Adam had told me about the um, we're talking about the inflation rate, and the extra money, and the big spending, and all that. And it came to mind what you mentioned to me yesterday, which was that the child tax credit that's been paid to people up front monthly went away. So yesterday, yep. Friday came, and it left. You know, let's, let's talk about the impact of that a little bit. My home? Well, yeah, mean, yeah you shoot me your ideas because you brought it up. Yeah, I think that um, it's just another source of money that people were spending and, and uh, that – was not earned income. So we gave away all this money during the pandemic. And and I'm not saying that that was wrong by any stretch. We absolutely needed it at first. I think it went on too long. And I think that we didn't admit when things had been reopening and back, we were getting back to business and they kept, they kept pumping money out there into the economy. That's why you're seeing numbers like 7 and 10% on the inflation numbers. And that was just another source of money coming into people that they were going to go out and spend and, and therefore drive the price of everything higher. So the end of that, I think, will have a positive effect on, on the inflation numbers. It's just less money being pumped into the economy at a time where we really don't need it anymore. Yeah, and we've still got the jolts number that job opening and labor turnover number it's still sitting last i saw was something like 10.6 million jobs available yeah something like that so there are there is plenty of work out there the the first time claims this week came in at 230 a little bit higher than expected but a good number still a great continuing claims dropped to 1,559,000 versus the expectation of over 1,700 or 17 um, 1,700,000. So uh, the jobs numbers look really good. We just, there are plenty of jobs available. We need to stop giving away money. Yeah, the labor force participation rate and the, the percentage of people employed are both just dismal. And it's because we've been giving them all the money. And a lot of you remember back around August, September, we were touting the, the uh, people like Ron DeSantis who cut off the extra unemployment checks earlier than the feds are going to do it so people get back to work and frankly i thought the impact of that would be a lot greater than it turned out to be but come to find out they've still been getting plenty of money through these uh, child tax credit payments that were coming in in cash there's going to be a couple of repercussions from that 
maybe one good, maybe one not so good. But it's going to mean that some people are going to have to get off their butts and go get a job. And they are available in all 50 states and all the territories and everywhere else. The biggest problem businesses are having is finding labor. So that's going to hopefully rock the world of enough people that they figure out that they've got to go earn it themselves. That's a positive for the economy and for the inflation rate. It's going to also, um, shall we say, show up at tax time. Most people think perhaps that they were getting free money. And a lot of people are going to find out that they may not be getting free money because maybe they weren't as eligible for these credits as they thought. And when they filed their tax returns in April for 2021, first off, their their refund that they're anticipating is likely to be a lot smaller. And in some cases, they're going to owe money to the government. This was yep, a, an ill-conceived way to do this, in my opinion. Why should that surprise us? Well, in it reality, should it should not. You're exactly right. So that just a little something to look for. I'm hoping it'll have a positive impact on the economy overall. We just we need people to get to work. Period. The the thing I was thinking of, and actually I like it better right here. Um, those of you who study and have studied economics for a long time, as we have, know certain names like Milton Friedman, the guru of all things economics. But there are a couple of others too: von Mises and Friedrich von Hayek. This is one that I saw the other day by von Hayek that I really like. It says simply, the curious task of economics is to demonstrate to men how little they really know about what they imagine they can design. That sound like any White House you know? <laughs> <laughs> pretty good, huh? Yeah, pretty good. He was an interesting guy. He studied the problems in Europe for a long time and then came over here and was saddened to find that we were moving the same direction that Europe did, and Europe was already in trouble. So yeah, you try to teach, you try to do the right thing, and some people just don't get it. All right, let's talk about something, about money. For many, many, many years, about as many as I've been in this business, which is 20 now and change, I have been a little bit concerned about the Roth IRAs, and Adam and I have been around and around on this for a long time, I have always been concerned that Roth IRAs will somehow become taxed in time. And Adam came along, and he I think you generally disagree with me, right, on that? I do. I, I, I don't think that they will be taxed under a certain dollar amount. Now, I think I could see a scenario where if you have five or 10 or 50 million in a Roth, they're going to want to get their hands on it and tax it. But I don't, I don't see it for the average person. I'd love to test that theory. Cause well, then I'd have five or 10 or 50 million. We, well, yes. And we won't know until many years from now, if that comes to fruition. So it's really hard to say at this point. No, and it's an ongoing discussion for a long time. So you also know, you've listened to us for a long time, but I absolutely love the people at investopedia.com. I think it's one of the very best websites about things financial. If you want a definition of a financial term or some interesting insight articles, it is a really good place to start, and I go there frequently. So this week I caught this one because 
It's a topic of interest to me. Will Roth IRA withdrawals be taxed in the future? I thought, well, that's really an interesting topic. So I dug into it. And there, there are some um, keys that they, they say, key takeaways. You already pay tax on your Roth IRA contributions in the year you make them. Well, we know that. Taxing Roth IRA withdrawals would effectively kill a source of investment capital for the nation's economy. Absolutely true. Other retirement plans would be a much richer source of tax revenue. Absolutely too true because when you cash those out, you pay taxes. Even if the law was changed, current accounts would probably be exempted. And that's also likely. So they came up with five reasons that they won't be taxed. And I I started reading through this, I put it aside, and then I read it again, then I read it again this morning, and there was something bothering me about the whole thing. Let's look at it, and I'll I'll try to make it come clear as we do it. One, Roth contributions aren't tax-deductible. Well, okay, is that a reason that they'll never be taxed? I'm not really too sure, but it does point out the fundamental problem, I believe, in the design of this article and this argument. I have never claimed that Roth withdrawals will be taxed 100%. I have always contended that the growth on Roth IRAs will probably be taxed. And the simple reason to me is we have a very greedy government that can't get enough revenue, but there is one pool of assets in America that under current law has never been taxed and will never be taxed, and that is the growth on your IRA contributions. So they wrote this article sort of implying that when Roth IRAs are going to be taxed, they're going to be taxed for the whole withdrawal. Therefore, I think it's a specious argument to continue going on and say this isn't going to happen. So I want to start after the break. I'll look into the other points and respond to them under the premise that I'm coming up with, is, which is I'm still not 100% comfortable with the the uh, taxation possibility for Roth earnings over time. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I'll look at both sides of each issue on the other four when we get back and hopefully find it interesting. I would love to be wrong. I would just so love to be wrong. But I know the Congress pretty well. Don't go anywhere. We'll come back and hit this topic and others right after the break. This is the Van Wee Financial Hour in the middle of January. Welcome back to the Van Wee Financial Hour. I'm Steve Van Wee. And I'm Adam Van Wee. And I remind everybody, lines are open, 904-222-8255, and we'll put you right on there. Um, before I get any further, how are the two little superstars doing in their soccer? Well, it's just, just the one uh, oh. this weekend, and I think they just lost one to nothing on a sort of a last five-minute goal. So ah. Kind of a bummer. They... I know they have a really good one-loss record, but if you look at their loss record, it's it's seldom, if ever, above one that they well, lose by. It isn't actually that good, and but every game we've lost by one goal. It's really yeah. frustrating. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, just one last time, huh? Anyway, yeah. back to Roth IRAs. The more the more I think about this, the more I'm trying to formulate a blog that would 
go on our website. Speaking of which, why don't you tell people how to get hold of us? We actually do have day jobs. Yeah, we do. And our day jobs, we are actually financial planners, and we have an office located at the beach in Jacksonville Beach, right at the end of Butler Boulevard. And it's 1538 The Greens Way, Suite 105. You can call us anytime at 904-685-1505 during business hours. And you can reach us on our website, uh, vanweefinancial.com, where you can book a meeting with us. Um, you can come see us. We, we can do phone meetings. We can do Zoom meetings. Or we can do in-person meetings, whatever you're comfortable with. And the first meeting is always free. So come and see us. If you are if you have any questions or you need to meet us, just take a look at your uh, overall picture. Um, we'll give you a free hour regardless of whether or not you become a client. Also, if you have any questions that you would otherwise call the radio to get answered and you're reluctant to do that, uh, just send us an email, info at vanleyfinancial.com, and we will get it on the air with an answer the next Saturday. So, just, I don't want anybody to ever be too hesitant to talk to us because we don't bite. Definitely. We love answering questions, and if it's a really hard question, email it to me. I'll have some time to research it, right. then I can look really smart. Yeah. All right, back to taxation, potential taxation of Roth IRAs. The second reason they give, Roth IRAs help build the nation. Well, that's absolutely true. There have to be pools of money for businesses to borrow and expand upon, and they do that largely when when people who have IRAs and various other accounts buy the stocks and or lend the money or buy the bonds. There's a pool of money there that's constantly willing and able to invest in the business of America, and that's a good thing. But my question there is, does Congress care? I'm sure they care that the business keeps building because they pay more taxes, but are they altruistic enough to say, well, this is a reason I would never tax the earnings on a Roth IRA. It would hurt development of business in the country. And frankly, I'm not going to give an answer to that because I don't think I have to. Here's another one. Uh, 35.3% of U.S. households have some kind of an IRA. Now, does that go for my argument or against it? I'm not sure. That's a large number, about a third of America, large number, and large numbers tend to get a lot of attention, so maybe it's a positive. Number three, a tax on withdrawals would end Roth IRAs. This is the one that really jacked my jaws. We're not talking, we shouldn't be talking about a tax on withdrawals. We should only be talking about the tax on, potential tax on earnings. And the reason I say that, this one, it would end Roth IRAs. Well, of course it would. That is so blatantly obvious, it really does not need to be written anywhere. Because if you could contribute to a regular one and take it out later, what's the difference? You're not going to do a non-deductible IRA when you can do a deductible one. I think, again, that argument is just specious and ridiculous. All right, next. What if they tax for that capital gains instead of at, at your income bracket? I, I think that's probably, if, if you accept my premise that it's likely to be taxed, I think that would probably be the most likely way that it would happen would make more sense. Yeah, they could also do some backdoor things like um, 
charge you some other way for income on it or something like that. Or uh, Never underestimate the devious nature of the people who write tax law. <laughs> for sure. I've learned that in the last 50 or so years. All right, now number four, again a crazy argument. Roth IRAs are comparatively small. Well, that means, if that's true, that means that the government would have little fear of, of some kind of a backlash from the people who are, are going to get hit by this. I don't find that a good argument. But then they go on to make a really good argument that Roth contributions, IRA contributions, are way too low. And those of you who are regulars on the program, you know that Adam and I rail about this all the time. If you've got a 401k plan, you can put 19.5 in it, and that went up this year to 20,500 with 6,500 additional if you're 50 above. What's the IRA? 6,000 again with the 1,000 catch-up makes it 7,000 if you're 50 or older. Why? Why? Why do we discriminate? However, I am seeing a lot more Roth 401k um, options these days. So mm-hmm. it is much more popular than it used to be and much more widely used. And I think largely that's due to the fact that the contribution levels are higher. If your employer adds a match, it does not count to your own contribution limit. Well, they're not going to add a match to your IRA, but they, some employers will to your 401k. So that is a good thing. Why is the 401k so much more preferential, treated more prevalent, preferentially, he said, sort of, <laughs> than, than the IRA? I have no idea. Apparently, the advocates for the IRA, like you and like me, aren't powerful enough to get their attention. Yeah, if, I guess not. Maybe they haven't got the strongest lobbyists yet. Right. And to me, it's not a, an argument that goes toward their premise. Their premise being it will never be taxed. And then the last one, if Roth IRAs are taxed, participation will be grandfathered. They go on to point out that throughout the tax code, there are a lot of things about accounts that are started after this or years, tax years that are started after this or whatever, and a lot of things do get grandfathered in. But is that a guarantee? Not in my book. I'm very skeptical about the possibility that they'll never be touched. Does that mean I wouldn't advocate it? Not on your life does it mean that. We always advocate getting more and more money put away. And hopefully what will happen is that these things get bigger and bigger and bigger. Because when you affect more and more people in this country and you threaten to um, take away what they've worked so hard to accumulate, they're going to... Um, rebel. That's all there is to it. So just thought I'd bring that up because it's a, a, a topic that we have spent so much time on, and I think I go against the grain a lot on that one, but it just concerns me. All right, let's talk about Berkshire Hathaway for a minute. Everybody knows that one, right? And the Oracle of Omaha, Mr. Buffett, who's a cousin to Jimmy, who's on the weird side of the family, I guess. But Obviously brilliant. Um, I have a lot of bones to pick with him. But he's long had a partner. The partner's name is Charlie Munger. Many of you out there know who that is. Charlie is a very young 97 years old right now. And 
absolutely remarkable career, as is Warren's, by the way. And he's sharp. But he came out with some unusual comments recently. And in, he was in Australia at a conference. And he said that he thinks this market is even crazier than the dot-com boom of the late 90s. You want to make a comment on that before I go any further, Adam? I, I personally don't see it, but, I mean, he's a smart guy, so yeah. what, I, is there something I'm missing? Nope, <laughs> there absolutely is not. Except one thing to me, and that thing is simply, in the 90s, the dot-com boom was not profit-based. You didn't have to be profitable to make money on the dot-coms. And that what that meant when they collapsed, they all collapsed because they weren't making any money. Right now, take a look through the NASDAQ. And you tell me if there's anybody in there not making money, and I'll tell you then they're going to be gone or they're going to succeed. I believe this market is in every way, shape, or form different and better than the dot-com bust of the uh, 90s. Just thought I'd bring it up again. I like having controversies here and there that we we have talked about and will respond to. Well, it's been fun. Time flew by. We'll see you again at the exact same time and place next week. This is the Van Wee Financial Hour.